Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Um, I'm really pumped about this series, guys. We started last week, made for this, and uh, this series is doing something very specific inside of me. Uh, It's shaping me each week. I'm excited. I go on a journey with the Holy Spirit each and every week. And today, I feel very strongly that the segment we're going to go into today is going to be absolutely life-changing for someone in this room. I I, uh, don't mean to make light of that statement, uh, but I I mean it. This this series is changing my life, and I know that it's going to do something very specific and strategic inside of you as well. The series is called Made for This. Uh, We're going into kind of a phase two of the series next week called Gifted. And in that series, we're going to walk through all of the different things that you have been gifted with, the resources, the talents, the time, the abilities, all different things that are part of what makes you, you, and gives you an ability to be distinct and different and have a specific purpose inside of your own personal life. Last week, we we introduced the idea of starting with passion, finding the things in life that you're passionate about that will show you and begin to shed light and, and shine you toward your purpose. And we started with passion for God, really focusing in on having a passion for God because God is so passionate about you. And in my own personal journey, uh, many of you know me and you know my story and you're probably sick and tired of hearing parts of it, uh, but others of you don't know me and so I'll share a little bit. Uh, I, I was my, my main hobby as a kid growing up was the martial arts and I was very good at it. I had a, a natural ability um, for inflicting bodily harm. It's just a gift, you know. Uh, so everybody has their different talents. And, and for me, it was something that I really enjoyed. I loved to fight. And I was, a, I was always the smiley, happy kid until the bell rang. And then I was just fierce. I mean, just vicious. And my mom initially was nervous uh, that I would get hurt training in the martial arts. And then she came and watched. And then she was nervous that we might get sued uh, because I was just a mean little sucker. And, and and I had a lot going on in my, in my life uh, that was kind of under the radar. Uh, but it was later in my life as I moved in forward in my career and I was on the U.S. Taekwondo team and I had a multiple-time national champ and world champ and, and had an amazing career. And I was entering into my public speaking um, career without really knowing it. Part of our business model is that I would go into the different schools in Plano, and I would speak in all the different schools for Red Ribbon Week or whatever, these different things for anti-drug talks and, and anti-bullying and peer pressure and things of that nature. And I would give my story. I would tell my story, uh, my own personal story. And really what I was doing is I, I was, without knowing it, I was kind of preaching inside of the public schools. I, obviously, I was limited on what I could say, but I was a very devout believer and my faith came through very strong. And people would always come up afterwards and say, are, are you a, I can tell you're a Christian and things of that nature. And I was literally beginning my ministry career without really understanding what the Lord was doing. And I found myself, and part of my deal is I would go in and do these exhibitions. And I'm talking, I'm breaking stuff. I'm run, flying over 20 kids and breaking things and, and doing all these crazy wild stunts and exhibitions 
missions and stuff, and, 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 and then I would do a talk. And so I learned that, you know, you walk in front of a group of high school kids and just start talking, and they're like, eh, you break a bunch of stuff and freak them out, and they want to hear everything you have to say. And so uh, that, that's, we'd bring the toughest kids up on stage and let them hold the boards, and we'd smash through them, and the boards would fly up into their, you know, chest, and they're, you know, now the tough guys are impressed, and you win the whole audience. But what, what I didn't plan for is that I would be in front of all these teenagers, and, and I'm sharing my story, and I'm pleading for them to make better decisions, to not give in to peer pressure, not give in to temptation, not give in to and fall down the traps that caused so much destruction in my own personal life during my teen years. And I found myself crying in public. And that doesn't sound very far-fetched for you all because you see me now. But at that point in time, I'm the reigning world champ, and I'm a tough guy for a living, and I don't cry in front of people. I don't cry in public. That's, that's not what I would do. Now, you got me mad enough, and I was like that kid in the Christmas story. Remember when the kid snapped with the bully in the Christmas story, and he's just crying and beating the you remember this? And just cussing and crying, and that, that's what happens if I get mad. But that's not what, not anymore. Kinda, but anyway, it's, at this point in time, I wasn't a big crier in public, and I'm literally finding myself crying in front of high school and middle school kids, and that's not cool. That's just, it wasn't, it wasn't a good look for my business. I'm there to grow my business and help some people, but I'm walking out, like this is the third time in a row, and I'm walking out of this thing, and I'm mad at God. And I'm like, God, what are you doing to me? What is going on? I was so mad at him, because I felt like he was making me look like an idiot in public. And he might have been, I don't know. But, but he says to me, I'm walking to my car. He says, Joel, I'm showing you your passion. And I was like, I didn't understand. He said, you thought this whole time that your career, your hobby, the martial arts, this whole thing that you've lived 15 years of your life devoted to, to accomplishing things, gone all over the world, all the things that I had done, you thought that was your passion, but it's not. It's never been. Your passion is my people. And, and I'm 26 years old, and it was this, this beginning of a shift inside of me that I began to hear myself say things that would freak me out because I would say to someone, you know, if I ever leave the martial arts industry, uh, it, it'll be because, you know, I, I answered the call and went to full-time ministry. And then I would, like, I would be like, what did you just say? Shut up. Don't ever say that again. That's, I would hear myself saying these things, and it was the complete opposite of what I had said I wanted to do with my life for my entire life up to that point. And then at 28 years of age, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and just realized I'll never be fully satisfied in my life until I'm using my abilities, my talents, my strengths to, to further the gospel all the time and not uh, just do what I'm doing in this, in this sector, in this part of the world. But I wanna encourage you that you, you may or may not have had an experience like that where the Lord really showed you your passion yet. But it's been a journey for me through segments of my life. And the key, the key critical component in that is that I had a very devoted relationship with God, I spent, as a business professional, I spent hours in the presence of God on a daily basis. I spent hours in prayer, hours in the word. I, I literally, it was, it was my, 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 my hobby had become my business. So my martial arts hobby was now my business and, and my spiritual life had become my hobby. And so in my free time, I devoted it toward my spiritual life, having no idea that it was grooming me and preparing me for what I'm doing right now. And what's interesting is when I stepped into the vocational ministry world, I quickly realized that I'd already been doing it 
for years. It's the only thing I knew how to do was to create uh, content and to inspire people and motivate people to be the very best version of themselves using the word of God. It was what I'd always done my whole life. What I want to say to you is that God has had you on a path and he's been preparing you your whole life, whether you recognize it or not. For me to, to think that I could take a career of beating people up and somehow that would be good for church work. It didn't make sense. But God in his all-knowing sovereignty, he worked all things together to prepare me for the new season that I would walk into. And he'll do the same thing for you. See, when, when, when our passion for God is first, it purifies our own heart's desires. When, when your first passion is God, it purifies your own internal desires because those desires become submitted to him. Uh, we all have desires. We all have good desires. We all have bad desires. You have this thing that you walk around in called flesh. Paul, who was one of the greatest uh, ministers of the gospel of all time, the way he described his flesh was that he lived in a constant battle, a constant war, he said, what I long to do, I can't do, and what I hate, I find myself doing. He says, there's a war waging inside of me. And you may feel that at certain times. And, and, and I've learned through experience that these appetites or desires that you have that may be ungodly, the more you starve them, the weaker they get. The more you feed your good and godly desires, the, the stronger they get. And so it really, it, it's about which ones you focus your, in, your energy and which ones you feed and those are the ones that really grow and develop and become the strongest desires that move and motivate you forward. Uh, there's a, uh, a story, or, or actually just a circumstance in, in the book of Jeremiah that I looked at this week that really was interesting to me because it's, it's got a couple different things on either side of a really intense thought. And so I'm gonna read it to you. It's from Jeremiah 17, verse seven. Uh, this is God speaking, okay? So it opens up, Jeremiah was a prophet. He would record the words of God and then go and tell and share what God was saying to the people of Israel. But in the middle of his writings, there are segments where it's Jeremiah speaking and then it's God speaking and then it's Jeremiah speaking and then it's God speaking. I want you to understand something about God's word. God's word, the Bible, is all his word. You understand that? God's word is God's word. But there's a difference in your Bible when you're reading what God actually said, a quote from God, and then a human's commentary. Does that make sense? It's all in the word, and it's all God's word, and it's there for a reason and there for a purpose. But there's a big distinction between what God actually says and how humans interpret it and how they worship him. For example, and, and, and this is one that really troubled me in, in a major way, is Psalms 91 it's a, it's a beautiful passage that's written by uh, one of the, the worship leaders. And Psalms 91, the first about, I don't know, 12 or 13 verses are a worshiper's expression of how great and amazing and awesome God is. And one of the things that it talks about is that, you know, a thousand will fall on your right, 10,000 on your left, or whatever your left, 10,000 on your right hand side, but none will come near you. And, and, and that's a great statement. And it, and it was something that I would declare, but but, but then all of a sudden when something comes near you, when death comes near you, when destruction comes near you, and you're looking at a verse in the Bible and you're like, what's up with this, God? And then you recognize that verse 13 and 14 is when God actually spoke. 
So you have a passage, I know I'm getting a little deep here and I don't want to throw anybody off, but you have a passage where there's a human being glorifying God, writing essentially a worship song to God, and in the middle of it, all of a sudden, they hit a prophetic moment and God speaks through them and they write something that God actually says. Well, at the end, if you look at this, this could be your homework for the week. If you look at this in Psalm 91, the first 12 verses or so are a human being worshiping God, talking about how amazing God is and he is. And then the very last verse, God actually speaks and he says, and I will be with you in trouble. God didn't, God wasn't the one to say that nothing's going to come near you. That was a human being said nothing's going to come near you. God said, no, I'm going to be with you in trouble. It's a difference, isn't there? Either way, it's God's word. There's something for us to learn from it. But it's also very important that we recognize when we read the scriptures The difference between, there's a difference when you're reading the Bible, okay, if it's all God's word and you're looking at the Pharisees and the things that the Pharisees say right next to what Jesus actually said, isn't there a difference? Okay, just check it. So here's Jeremiah's experience. Verse seven, God is actually speaking here, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Watch this. Now Jeremiah pipes in. The heart is deceitful above all things And beyond cure, who can understand it? This is Jeremiah's response to God's statement. And then God speaks again, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. There is a statement that I've heard lately in our culture, and it's a statement that's used to justify doing pretty much whatever you want to do. And the statement is this, the heart wants what the heart wants. But according to this passage, Jeremiah, who spoke for God, recognized that his own heart was incredibly deceitful. Has your heart ever deceived you? Has your heart ever led you off the path? I know mine has. Have you ever desired something and then found out it wasn't what you should have desired? You, You ever fallen in love with the wrong one? I grew up in Oklahoma, and so Garth Brooks' song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, means a whole lot to me. I prayed a whole lot of times for the wrong woman. Finally, I found the right one. Come on, our heart can lead us astray. Your emotions will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. If if we acted out our feelings all the time, none of us would have very many friends. We, We wouldn't have successful marriages if it was all about obeying our emotions, obeying our feelings, fulfilling all of our own desires, our desires are something that have to be submitted to God. Now, this is important that you understand that God actually gives you desires. But those desires have to be submitted to him. See, there's a story in the, in the, in the Bible about Abraham and his wife Sarah And they were believing for a child and God gave them a child. And it was actually the child of promise that God would bring the entire lineage of the Israeli people and Jesus through. So the savior of the world was going to come through this child. His name was Isaac. But how many of you know, you've seen people, known people, beautiful marriage, beautiful family or couple. And then they have a baby 
and the baby all of a sudden takes priority over the fam over the actual marriage. You ever seen this happen? And now the baby is more important than the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship suffers, sometimes falls apart and unravels, and now the baby suffers. And the whole container to bring the greatest success vehicle for the baby falls apart because the baby became the priority instead of the actual marriage that was the container for the baby. It's not a marriage seminar, but it might help somebody. See, God will give you a promise, but if you're not careful, he'll give you a gift, he'll give you a talent, he'll give you an ability, he'll give you a future, he'll give you a job, he'll give you resource, but if you're not careful, the promise that God gave you, the desire that was, was initially good can become an idol. And you may have times where you have to test that and lay that thing back on the altar and allow God to purify it again. I can tell you time after time after time that I've laid things, my own desires, my own heart, my own wants, I've laid them on the altar, things that I was convinced that God wanted me to do, had given me to do, but I'd come into a place where all of a sudden I'm realizing that this promise is so important to me that it's taking preeminence to the one who gave me the promise. See, the promiser has to remain the priority. Psalms 37, four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If the Lord is your desire, your desires are his delight. And that's good. That's not in my notes. Say that again. Write that down. If the Lord is your desire, your desires are his delight. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But he has to be our delight. Because it's one of those things. I mean, any of you that have kids, man, I'm telling you, my, my kids, they know how to work me, man. My, I got girls. They got me wrapped around their little fingers, and they know how to just how to look at me and just how to say the right things and just how to, to tug on my heartstrings. It's hard for me to say no. Now, if they come to me with an attitude, it's easy, right? But when I'm their delight, I can't wait to fulfill their delights, amen? And how much better is God than us? He's a better father than we are. But it's important that we know our own hearts. You gotta know your own heart. You've gotta take inventory of your own heart because your heart can lead you astray. Scripture declares that we are instructed to guard our heart. It's the number one thing that I talk to my little daughters about, right? Sydney's gonna be 16 in a week and I talk to her all the time because she's a cutie patootie and boys at school like her and I'm like, girl, you better guard your heart. Sorry, I'm talking about you, baby. Don't be embarrassed. You're supposed to be serving in kids ministry. I was gonna do this without you here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just joking around. Oh, to be a pastor's kid, it's such a hard thing. Um, anyway, but, but literally, it's the number one thing. You're single. You're a teenager. You better guard your heart. Let some little floozy trick you. Some hair, my, 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 my dad would tell my sisters all the time, don't let some little hairy-legged boy, little hairy-legged boy come in there and tell you something. It's important that you understand, but it's not just for teenagers. Single folk, you better guard your heart. Married people, you better guard your heart. Because out of it flows the wellspring, the vitality of life, the passion of life flows out of your heart. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't know if you've been heart sick before. I've been heart sick. I've been heartbroken before. And, 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 it, and it steals, when you're heartbroken, it steals your vitality. It steals your passion. It steals your zeal for life. And it's so important 
that we guard our heart, we gotta ask ourselves, when we're looking at different things that we feel like we wanna do, we gotta ask ourselves some questions. Do an inventory of our own heart. Why do I want this? Who is this really for? Does this ultimately glorify me or does this ultimately glorify God? Does this hurt or help others? The desires of your heart have to be submitted to God. And if they pass that test, then God will bless them and he'll glorify them and he'll, he'll, he'll release his favor upon them. There's nothing wrong with desiring good things. You've got a really good father and your father desires for you to have good things. Just like you desire for your kids to have good things. None of you want your kids to suffer and lack. None of you, a, a good parent wants their kids to launch off of the platform that they provide for them with their life and do better in their life than they did in their own. That's what a good parent desires. We don't want our kids to be scallywag, ne'er-do-wells that never get out of the house. We, we don't want the 50-year-old kids to live in the basement. We don't have basements here. I don't know why I said that. We, but we, you know what I'm saying? We, we, don't want, we want our kids to stretch their wings and to fly and to soar and do great things. How much more your heavenly father wants great things for you. Jesus actually said that, you know. But we've got to submit our passions to him. When you desire, when you define and figure out your personal passion in life, so the difference between your God passion and your personal passion, when you define your personal passion in life, it will begin to guide and direct the course of your life. It's a, it's a, it's a light it's, that shines toward where you're, dis, where you're supposed to go in the path that he has for you. But you can't talk about passion without really talking about pain. Because there are two great motivators in life, pleasure and pain, love and hate. Those are the things that motivate human beings more than anything else. And when we're talking about love or passion, there's, you always have to connect to the opportunity for pain. If you don't extend yourself in love, you don't have the opportunity to get heartbroken, right? If you don't give your heart away, you can't get heartbroken. But at the same time, if you don't give your heart away, you can never fully, at the right time with the right people, you can never fully experience the love that God has for you to experience in life. So it's a risk that we take. And we all have situations and things that we go through in life that cause pain. But pain builds character. All right? So I, I was in seventh grade. I was uh, just starting out in my little martial arts career. I was doing pretty darn good. I was getting pretty tough. And I had an accident at school. I'm still, I'm still terrified of, the, of this device. Is this teacher lounge always had one of these things. The art room had it. It was that big guillotine-looking paper cutter thing. Remember that, that thing? It's just like, just cut through all that paper. Well, I, um, I miscalculated. And I caught the tip of my fingernail. And it went about halfway down through my finger. My little tip of my finger was kind of hanging off like this. And, and not too bad, but bad enough. And I you know, slapped it on there and taped it up. And, and I went to karate class. And I had this gigantic, I mean, it was like this, it looked like a Q-tip. looked like a marshmallow on the tip of my finger. And I walk in, this, the story I'm about to tell you is borderline child abuse, all right? It, it, but it happened. And, and, and I walk in and my instructor, Jack Bell, if you're watching, buddy, he looked at me and he said, what's, that on, what's on your finger? And I began to tell him the story of almost cutting my finger off. And he grabs it and squeezes it. And I literally, I'm like, I mean, just... I don't think I could make that noise again if I wanted to. That's the noise I probably made. And I literally, tears fill my eyes. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And he goes, pain builds character. 
And, and, and he, he, goes, he goes, finish your story. I start, I start to try to tell my story again. He grabs it and squeezes it again. I'm like, ah, and I'm just, dude, I'm like, I'm literally, I'm crying now. And it's bleeding and, and whatever. And, 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 and he says, pain builds character. He goes, finish your story. I said, no. He goes, see, pain builds character. Now that's the worst illustration ever. That's child abuse. But I never forgot that story. I never forgot that moment. And I don't know what he was trying to teach me. But listen, the things in life, don't trust him. I don't know that he's really a big jerk. Maybe. I don't know. Taught me something. But there's actually a scripture, because that's not in the Bible, pain builds character, but it kind of is. When you look at a passage like Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character hope. There's a purpose. Listen, there's a purpose for your pain. The times of pain in your life, the times of suffering in your life, there's a purpose for your pain. There's a reason you go through those things. And many times it doesn't make sense. And we ask God why. And we get angry and frustrated. But as I mentioned in weeks previous. The question is not why. The question is what am I supposed to learn from this? Because when you can learn the lesson. Of the pain points in your life. It'll help you recognize. Your passion at a different level. I was speaking with someone last night. I was talking at uh, Joe and Diane's small group, and it was a really beautiful time. And someone came up to me afterwards and asked me a question and said, Pastor Joel, why am I always, I always find myself ministering to women who are in pain, and, and they're living in this painful, devastating place, and, and I'm, it's so frustrating to me. Why is this what I'm supposed to do? And I would ask God, why do you keep sending me? And I have to listen to this next sad story and listen to this next big trauma. And, and then she said, but I kind of understand and I can relate because I have been through and I lived in tremendous internal pain in my life myself. And I said, you're gonna love the message tomorrow. She didn't know she was gonna be in it. But the whole point is your pain will point you toward your passion. And your passion will point you toward your purpose. I want to show you a little schematic that I had our team make for me. That is a beautiful cycle that shows that if you can learn the lesson from your pain, it'll connect you. Come on, guys. You have seen this a gajillion times. Someone that goes through some type of a trauma and it becomes their cause. They, they lose a life, they, they, they have something destructive happen, and, it, and, and all of a sudden, instead of it destroying their life, they choose to create it into a passion in their life that gives them a purpose and a cause for their life. And if we can learn the lesson from the pain, we can identify a passion point that will guide us toward our actual purpose, and this is what's gonna bring us into a cycle in our lives that creates incredible satisfaction. See, when you live for yourself, you will ultimately be unsatisfied because your flesh and your cravings will never be full. But when you can learn to become full by helping others, the satisfaction that you gain is incredible. When you become full by fulfilling what God has designed and called you to do, 
It's an incredible thing that happens inside of your life. So many parts of my life were fueled by pain. See, it was the pain of being uh, taken advantage of as a, as a small boy by an older cousin that created in me a rage, an anger, a hatred. The, the beginning stages of why I was so good in the martial arts was because I had a rage inside of me that no one knew about. I had a secret hate inside of me that fueled me. But, but later on what happened is that I learned that, that by being willing to talk about what I had experienced being abused by a cousin would set thousands of people free in my life. And so a pain became a passion to help other people. It turned into purpose. And you'll find this all over. You'll find this in the scriptures too. Let me take you to the story of David. We're gonna walk through David's life all through this series. We talked about how David last week had been rejected. He had been mistreated. He had been uh, unwanted by his own brothers, his own father. He dealt with uh, loneliness. He, he was in the field with the sheep all the time. Uh, he, I mean, th- imagine, imagine the loneliness. All you have is these dumb animals, right? You're constantly having to protect them, and you can't interact with them. And, and it, or I guess you try to. Maybe you start naming them Bob and Larry and whatever and try to have, have conversations with the sheep. It can get pretty lonely out there. But David cultivated a relationship with the, with the father, through worship in that season. And I'm going to take you to a portion of the story where we have the David and Goliath, uh, but I'm not going to go to the part that normally you would look at. I want to look at a part where David connects to a place of passion that was also connected to a place of pain, you'll see. 1 Samuel 17, 23, as the story goes, then as he talked with them, there was a champion The Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, the threats of Goliath. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? That's how I read it. Hold on, brother. Run that back one more time. You're telling me that if someone kills this big head joker right here, he gets riches, a princess bride, and no taxes. So this is what David says. What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So now all of a sudden now he's connecting into the offense of Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he did, He's getting fired up now. He's pumped. Get, that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. This is one of the moments that you see David's abuse from his siblings. His angel arose against him. He says, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the world? So he's belittling his his job. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. See, David in this place, you see the moment of pain The anger, the rage that must have been inside of David from being mistreated by his brothers for so long, 
I can only imagine that, that some of that came out when he was uh, killing a lion or killing a bear. He may have had some of that rage and that anger come out. And now here he is in a moment, and he's recognizing that there's an opportunity. See, I wanted you to see this part of the story because obviously pain was a motivator inside of David's life, but also pleasure was too. And there was nothing wrong with David desiring riches, a good-looking princess bride, and no taxes. So someone else, and look, this is what his brother did. His brother judged him. I know the pride and the insolence of your heart. See, if you, have, if you ever decide you're going to go out and do great things, people are going to judge you. Nobody, there's no preacher on the planet that gets more hate than Joel Osteen. He's the nicest dude in the universe. I've met him. The nicest person you'll ever meet. Just trying to do good. Oh my God, is he hated. My question is, will you bow down and back away from what God has given you passion to do because of what other people think? Or how they judge your motives, what they're gonna say about you? Or will you hold on and harness that passion and obey God and do what only you can do through His power? You're on this planet because He has something for you to do. You're on this planet because He has a cause for you. My dad, I tell the story often, he's 82, he wakes up every morning. Takes a breath, looks around, still here. There's more for me to do today. He's had a number of heart situations throughout the last few years. Uh, told me uh, a couple months ago, he was praying. And when you're, when you're in your 80s and you're having heart situations, he's talking to the Lord. He's having real talk with God. He's like, Father, how many more days do I have? And my dad told me that the Lord spoke to him just, just instantly, just quickly. And the Lord gave him one word, enough. Enough. There's a mission for you in life. You can either take the obstacles, the opposition, the pain of life, and you can chalk it up as an excuse and a reason to sit back and complain and do nothing. Or you can recognize that there's a purpose inside of your pain. There's a reason you have those obstacles. And God is more than enough to help you overcome and accomplish what he's called you to do. Is there not a cause? What a powerful statement that David made. We know the rest of the story, how he went and God gave him the ability to kill the giant. But we've got to come to that place. And if we're going to find the cause that we have in our life, there's a couple very practical things that I'm going to share with you. Number one, you've got to embrace suffering. Now, I want you to understand, you don't need to create suffering. <laughs> I'm not talking about some kind of, you know, uh, penance, you know, punish yourself type thing. That's not what I'm talking about. There, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, this idea of embracing suffering can be perverted and you create suffering for yourself because of some misguided idea that it's going to make you more holy. It's simply not true. 
life has plenty enough suffering in store for all of us. We don't have to go seek it out. But when we find it, listen, I've had times and moments where, you know, years ago, times where I was working for someone that was horrible to work for. Horrible to work for. And I mean, this person would, would verbally abuse me, would threaten me. I, I mean, it, it's, it, was, it, was, it was not good. But the Lord was teaching me through it. See, oftentimes you'll have experiences with people that, that you begin to despise. And in, in the Lord is showing you who not to be in your future. See, you can learn just as much from a bad boss as you can from a good boss. You can learn a lot from a bad parent. And some of us, listen, if we're not careful, we hold on to the pain of a bad season and we miss the whole point of the season was for you to learn so that you connect into passion and be a different kind of person with your own personal purpose. So embrace suffering. Number two, learn from pain. You have to learn from it. If you don't learn from it, it's wasted. Number three, fuel godly passion. Fuel godly passion. Make sure that what you're doing, every major decision I make, I'm praying my guts out because I don't want to miss God. I don't make a single major move in my life without absolutely knowing God has confirmed to me over and over and over and over the books I've written, the business I launched. You, you better believe I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to make sure that I knew, I knew, I knew that Oaks Church was God's baby, not mine. Amen. You better know that it's, it's God's passion inside of you. It'll feel like your passion, and that's good, but it's gotta be from God. It's gotta be for his purpose. And finally, identify your cause. Begin to look for some practical things in your life, practical things in your life that you can do. What can you do right now where you are? What can you do right now where you are? Well, Pastor Joel, I'm, I mean, I'm called to preach. I need to be up on that stage. No, you don't. You need to start where I did, sitting across a, a lunch table from a friend just talking sharing what the Lord showed me in my Bible. Then jumping into a small group, sharing in a small group, building, you have to build, guys. You don't, if you're given a platform, you'll fall off it. You've gotta build the platform, and this works in business, this works in everything. You have to build it. If someone gets a promotion, an unwarranted promotion, doesn't typically go very well in business. Normally destroys them. You've got to grow into it. That's part of the suffering. That's part of the tenacious nature that you have to have to be the type of champion God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.